Hi, everyone, uh, and welcome to this panel uh, hosted by Condé Nast. Condé Nast is uh, a home of one of the most uh, iconic magazines in the world, Vogue, and uh, some of other uh, global magazines such as GQ, Wired, Traveller, Vanity Fair, are incredibly well known also for gathering uh, audiences from all sorts of demographic and for all sorts of passion points. And uh, today we would like to talk specifically around Web3 and uh, storytelling, which I know it has been discussed by a few other panels. But in this case, we would like to specifically look at how um, creatives, um, media agencies, agencies, all sorts of uh, teams somehow involved in the idea of building a story or building a narrative for brands can utilize these, uh, you know, this new wave of technology that is actually going to take over most of our businesses. And uh, it's interesting for us because Condé Nast uh, has a particular way of connecting with people, which is through iconic passion points, cultural moments, and uh, also through the power of images. And uh, today, we're also trying to understand a little bit more of how can we utilize this as a valuable tool to build a community, which is also something we are fairly well known for. Web1, as they used to call it, kind of gave a chance to companies to tap into global uh, marketplace. Web2 gave a chance to users to actually tap into their conversation, and this is how we then have user-generated content spreading all over the world and the birth of new media or social media, as we call them now. So what it's about Web3 that will be able to trigger this new uh, wave of innovation in storytelling, in platform development, but most importantly, in the role that creators can have to support some of these passion points. So today we have a very interesting panel, uh, in my opinion, and we're going to introduced a few of these key speakers. JC Oliver. JC Oliver is a multidisciplined growth and creative strategist with over 20 years of industry experience working for large corporations and startups. As a global head of innovation for Microsoft, he built progressive digital experiences with the likes of Virgin, Hyundai, Samsung, Coca-Cola, and Adidas. He conceived the internal Skankworks agency bringing together enterprise, ventures, consulting, and marketing around his theory of the interspace of marketing. JC now works with some of the world's leading startups designing rapid innovation strategies for business growth through his venture studio, Move78, which helps businesses grow through their focus around brain power, horsepower, and firepower, which we're going to hear about today. Alex Wilson... Executive Creative Director at Amplify, which is a global creative agency that specializes in experience and culture, um, is the Executive Creative Director for the agency and has worked across film, creative direction, production and PR, all of which make him a multi-hyphenate talent. Um, his work for PlayStation, Netflix and Amazon has influenced culture and created conversation facilitated by fans. He began his career in New York at Protozoo Films, and Alex has worked at agencies including Jack Morton, Sunshine, and Wild Things, where clients include the Grey Goose, Google, and Yorkshire Tea. <laughs> the big one. And if you spotted him, he was also the uh, panelist from the previous talk. And uh, Megan McDowell. 
is Senior Editor at Vogue Business and Web3 Advisor at Condenast Web3 Technology. Megan is on the advisory board for Condenast Web3 team, and she's the author of the weekly technic technological edit newsletter known for identifying the key drivers for the future of fashion and retail and offering digestible insights on which technology matter. She has become a leading expert of fashion's role and opportunity in the metaverse and Web3. And before joining Condenas, McDowell reported for publications including W, Marie Claire, San Francisco Chronicle, and Business of Fashion, and was the first technology reporter for WWD. Now, just to kick it off, I would like to give some kind of context to where we are in this expansion of Web3, because few times I've obviously read that Metaverse doesn't actually exist yet, or that Web3 is just something that will come up in the future. And I would love for JC Oliver, who has been working, obviously, in the innovation department of some of the most prestigious companies in the world, to tell us a little bit more about, contextually, for this audience, how far you think we are in this innovation trajectory, and is there really existing? I thought you were going to do a longer intro than that. I was, yeah. ready, I was ready for you to do, like, a five-minute But before we kick off... I, I'm not catfishing anyone with that picture, by the way. That was taken many years ago. <laughs> my beard is longer and greyer now, but I still use that for all my Tinder pro. I don't really use it for Tinder profile. Um, right, okay, let's do, let's do this. Can we all stand up, apart from this lady here, obviously, because she's got this. Don't worry, you don't have to stand up. Can we all stand up, please? And I'm, gonna do, I'm just going to go around. Look at you all. You're beautiful people. I like coming into the crowd. Okay, so if any of you have got an avatar... Um, please keep standing. Anyone that doesn't have an avatar in any way, shape, or form, platform, or anything like that, please sit down if you don't have one. Right, now get out of this talk. <laughs> now you can stay. Um, right, if anyone has got an avatar that has been in a 3D virtual world, please sit down. Oh, please keep standing. Please keep standing. So I got it the wrong way around. Please keep standing if you're in a 3D virtual world. Okay. Now, if you, that avatar in that 3D virtual world, if you spend the majority of your week in that virtual world, standing in front of that, uh, in your virtual world, please keep standing. The majority of your week. <laughs> Thank you. The man at the back has won. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so there we go. Really interesting in terms of where we are on that trajectory because I think the adoption rate at this point in time is obviously spending the majority of your time. Thank you for coming to South by Southwest in the real person. It's nice, it's nice to see you. Um, but I think it's really interesting because we talk about it and the definition, I mean, literally, we've done a couple of panels here over the last, last few days and everyone's talking about ChatGPT and how it's got 100 million people and how Web3 and the metaverse is already over. I mean, it really does make me laugh. But if we, for the sake of what we're doing here, Web3 is really about the ownership and distribution of value um, across essentially the web, right, Web 3.0. It's about how we distribute that value in a different way um, from centralized organizations through to decentral. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that goes into that. And when it, when, what we're going to talk about today is a lot of virtual products, hybrid products, and distributed ownership. So there's a couple of examples we'll use. When it comes to the metaverse, um, you could argue that the metaverse has been around for a very long time because what you're trying to do is synchronously engage with people in a space that is not in the same space that we're sitting in now. So if any of you have got a friend in Australia or around the world, essentially, if you're on a Zoom call with them, you're in the metaverse. But for the sake of what we're doing here today, and many of you may have read Matthew Ball's book, The Metaverse, which is a great book, he describes the metaverse 
as a massively scaled, interoperable, 3D-rendered virtual world in which there is synchronicity and persistency um, and the ability to have an unlimited amount of people in the world at the same time. She's shaking her head. This is not right, she's saying. So... Also, what you have to then think about from there is you have to have presence and awareness in that world. And that world must continuously give off a data stream of history for the people in there, um, objects that you collect in your wallet, entitlements, memberships, etc., communication with other people, commerce, what you buy and transact in that world, and then the most important of which, I think, and we'll talk about this today, is identity. So he describes it as that. That's quite complex. There's a lot of marketing and brand people in the room, and that's way too long. But as you can see, that's that's how he describes it. And I think we're not quite there yet. We're in the foothills of deciding where we're going to get to, and there's a lot of interesting stuff that's happening right now. But if we go back, I mean, we all look slightly older in the room. I'm sure you'll remember 2003. So Second Life was, was, um, was released and launched in 2003. Um, Second Life today has over 200,000 daily users and a GDP of over 600 million. But nobody ever talks about it. Why don't they talk about it? Because there's nothing to really do in Second Life. And my belief is that we will see mass adoption and we will see some real progression and movement forward when we have something to do in these worlds. And these worlds, the ones that are taking off right now, tend to be gamified. So your Fortnites, your Robloxes, etc. When these worlds exist where you just go and chat to people and, 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 and hang out, I don't think there's enough of a drive for us to participate in that world right now until we have some sense of our consciousness that takes us there. So where are we on this journey? Where are we in this trajectory? If I think about it like uh, an analog clock, and let's just say, right, we're starting at 12 o'clock and, and we're going to get to 1 o'clock. If you ever look at an analog clock, the seconds tick by and you can see the second hand moving. And if you look really closely, you can also see the minute hand move. But it doesn't matter how long you look at that clock, none of one can see the hour hand move. And we are about 5 to 10 past 12 in terms of that trajectory right now, where the technology allows us to sit. And one of the things that actually keeps us held back is not necessarily the technology, although there are technical issues at the moment to to some of these things, but it's more the human understanding and how we understand what we want to do in that world. But essentially, we're at 10 past, we're about, we're about 10 past one, five to 10 past one. We're going to see over the next couple of years, the seconds tick by. And if we look very closely, we'll start to see the minute hand move. Microsoft looking to buy Activision, etc. They're big minute hand moves. But what you won't see and what you won't ever see is how that hour hand moves until you look away. And all of a sudden you look back and it's going to be half past 12. And all of a sudden you're going to look around and it's going to be one o'clock. And apart from the gentleman in the back, we'll all be spending the majority of our time in that world. So we've still got a little bit to go. But there's great technological progression and there's great case studies that have happened, but I still think there's a long way to go. Thank you. Thank you. And actually, to that point, and the fact that we have a lot of, I know, marketing agencies, uh, uh, creative agencies and advertising agencies in the room, to me, their question now is, then, if we need to put our finger on what's the f- what the focus should be, is, is more about onboarding, education, or branding. As in, if you had to consult to one of your clients on how to kickstart in a way this 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 process should they focus more on onboarding like new consumers onto a branded experience should it be more about educating them about the fact that there are some of these platforms or should it be more about branding as in 
a, a Gucci garden type of experience where it's more about the beauty. And I would like actually to ask this to Alex, considering the work you've been doing with Amplify. Do I have to make everyone stand up? No, please, actually. Cool. Um, I, good question. I, I would always start with the why, to be honest with you, rather than thinking about those elements too quickly. I think we're certainly, it feels like, past the sort of initial arms race where everyone's trying to turn up, um, and whether it be to, through a, a pixel-flavored drink or some sort of virtual experience, which just is a virtual manifestation of a, of a real-world experience where we haven't really challenged the architecture or anything. I think we're, we're kind of through that. There are a lot of early conversations when, obviously, Mark... Um, Mark, like I know him. <laughs> Zuckerberg. Uh, just do Zook. Zooks. Zooks. Jump the gun a bit, <laughs> maybe, in terms of people thinking that it was a real thing. And, and I hear what you're saying. Like, it is a real thing in terms of gaming and it exists in, in, in certain ways. I think not in the way where a lot of people thought who maybe, when they saw Zuck chatting in a virtual world, thinking, I could, this is something I just go step into when it kind of wasn't. But I think we certainly, from our clients, were having conversations about how do we turn up in there. Um, and our first question always had to be like, well, why do you want to turn up there? And how, who are you talking to? How is, how is it going to make sense? Because I think quite often, even, even now, as, as people have bought real estate, they've taken their time to develop in there, they're starting to understand who they're speaking to, how they're speaking to them, how to behave and turn up in these different metaverses almost, which is a collection of metaverses that make up the metaverse in a way. Um, you, if, if you see someone turn up and, you, and you're asking yourself why they're there, they've kind of already lost, right? So you want to make sure that um, you're, you, know, you don't necessarily need to be a brand you would associate with doing that, whether it be associated with technology, all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, it makes sense they're in there. I think when you look at a lot of lifestyle brands or brands that are built on stories, you're like, okay, I get it. This is another way for them to world build and for them to access your stories just through a different destination. I think if you're kind of creating it for tech for tech's sake or just to be seen to be in there, that's where you're starting to struggle. Um, so, and it doesn't exactly answer your question, but when, when you no, talk about those three elements, I do always, we would need to come back to why and who you're speaking to them and how are you speaking to them. It's a very useful way of starting the process anyway. So that's, I find that really useful. And actually, um, one of the things I would like to explore a little bit more is whether there are certain sectors that are more well-placed to actually kickstart this kind of like learning phase and uh, I would like to ask Megan what why do you think fashion for example or beauty have been so at the forefront of the adoption of web3 kind of marketing absolutely well thank you for having me I want to acknowledge my colleague Kira Byrne she wish she could have been here she was ill so I'm I'm here in her place so thank you for having me um, it's a great question I think um, fashion and beauty have had an outsized role in this idea of metaverse experiences because I think if if we go to JC's example like how many of you spend a lot of your time in zoom or Instagram I'm sure most of you would still be standing and if you think about it on zoom and Instagram how you look is so important for communicating your identity. And it says so much about you. Well, if you advance to these so-called metaverse worlds, these virtual spaces, you don't have body language anymore. Um, you often don't even have your voice. And so how do you communicate who you are? That's how you look. And that's the opportunity for fashion and beauty brands. Um, so I think fashion and beauty have been known for storytelling. I think that's what they do best. And I think this is just an extension of, of what they do best. And it offers a real service to consumers because we all thought about what we got up in war today and I think the same thing is going to happen and it's already happening in virtual spaces. Absolutely and uh, when it comes to fashion we, we've heard this idea of um, uh, virtual uh, atelier, it's obviously something that has been explored a lot and I would like to maybe open it up a little bit more about again about the why and do you think 
creative versus commercial should always be put in front of the of these clients. As in, I still would love to utilize maybe some of these tools as a creative tool, but it feels like the commercial objective will always have to come first. Would you agree or have you got any opinion on that specifically? I think cre- creativity comes first and then the commercial follows. I think if you build a great experience, um, the consumer that the consumer comes to, I think that's success. And if that happens to be created by a brand or sponsored by a brand, even better, because there might be more budget and it might even be more beautiful. Um, what I'm seeing brands do is partner with the endemic creators. Um, so when you, you know, you mentioned Gucci Garden, one of the most successful and early examples of this and what made them so successful is that they partnered with people who had expertise in Roblox. And so I think um, brands are starting to learn from creators that um, the audience can be very fickle. They trust the people who have the expertise in those worlds. So I think I would advise always brands um, to partner with and sort of ask for the endorsement of the local community before you just jump in and kind of introduce something. Because as we all know, Web 1 playbook doesn't work in Web 2, and the same thing goes for Web 3. Thank you. And uh, we talk about communities. We heard about communities in the previous panel. I've heard about communities a lot during this South by. Um, why do you think... There is so much focus on, on the community conversation now compared to, for example, during Web 2, where social media, in a way, it's, it's part of a community. So why do you think communities saw take it on board as a focus this time? I can I see just, you. I, well, no, I, I, I just had it here. I was just about to breathe. Um, <laughs> well, it's quite simply is because community, I think community managers at brands are going to be some of the most well-paid people moving forward, right? Because the way we used to work was we, brands used to sell to us and we would, we would go, oh, my God, look at this great TV ad. And then we'd go and buy the parcel or the fairy liquid or whatever consumer good we would buy and not really think about it, right? With the transaction would happen first, then we used to think. Now we think before we transact. It's a small nuance, but it's a big one. Um, and so once, you've, once you think about something you buy, you then the after sales or the, the community that is then built becomes incredibly important to keep on selling to or be part of that community. In Web 2.0, I can't believe I'm saying Web 2.0, but in Web 2.0, you didn't have ownership, right? It was a centralized brand talking to you. You might all hang out or do something in Roblox or what have you. But unless you are part of that community and have some type of influence in the community, just what Megan's saying there about um, Gucci working with natives, right, who, it, who, who are there. So you don't come in and go, right, we're just slapping our brand on a Gucci garden and making people feel good. You're authentically being there, but the people within, and I'm just making this up because this wasn't in the case of the Gucci garden, but imagine everyone that came into the Gucci garden was given um, 0.00001% of a share of the commercial value of the Gucci garden. Guess what? I'd invite all of you. And in fact, I'll invite all of you. That guy at the back, he's already in there. Um, he's hanging out in there. But, you know, there's a difference with what Web3 can give. And, and you can engender and engage communities in a much deeper um, and meaningful way than you could ever do with 2.0. And I think that's why we're talking much more about why communities are important today and moving forward than we ever have done in the past. It's, it's also, sorry, can I jump in? It's also, I mean, a bit, bit overused potentially. And I think you can also, um, I mean, obviously we just talked about community a lot, the importance of it, but that's in context. And I think you can, also, you can almost swap the word community for audience in a lot of this context. And, and I mean, I'm going to plug Amplify here a little bit, but in its inception, the way that Amplify would always look at working with communities or sub-communities 
was not to speak at them. It was to bring in people from those communities to build the work from there, having that authentic voice within it. And it's something that it continues as, as a studio, we continue to do in terms of having people in the mix that don't necessarily make sense, but those who know the, the, the communities well and can speak to them in the ways they want to be spoken to in the place they want to be spoken to. I think when you look at um, how they, this sort of the, the audience piece happens um, through the lens of sort of building worlds or, or certainly through like went through metaverse, there is an element of that, that co-creation is super important, but it needs to be, it needs to be that authentic collaboration with them and not like adopting or badging or I think it's quite easy to sort of um, think that you're speaking to that audience in the, in the place they want to be spoken to but it can also feel like a hijacking experience as well so um, I think that's a really important part of it so community is very easy to say oh we're one big community because we enjoy something you can always have a unified point of interest and like gaming is a huge part of that it's more social than social media in that regard and, and it gives you that and you're it's participatory but also an audience so it's it's a captive marketplace in places like fortnite or, or call of duty but as long as you're not you know interrupting what they're experiencing and and you are you understand that community you understand that audience then you can turn up in really authentic ways and talking about um the idea of supporting creators i would love also to to hear from Megan about what we have been doing at condenast either with vogue or business or more recently, which I think is one of the most exciting projects from us, it's the GQ3 NFT drop. Absolutely. Well, we've done a lot, so I'll try to get hit all the key points. Um, you mentioned the GQ3 drop. Um, that's been really exciting to us because GQ is a very excellent audience to kind of cross over into the Web3 sphere because of their interest in menswear and streetwear and sneakers and watches. And that has been a um, community that has been an early adopter of some of these Web3 Technology. So um, a few months ago, GQ had a metaverse issue and uh, we launched our own Discord server. You didn't hear that many years ago. I've got a metaverse issue. <laughs> right, right. Um, but it was like, it was, and it was on, you know, to that question of do you um, educate or do you onboard or do you create? It was a little bit of both because a lot of the people in our community were very interested in metaverse and NFTs, but they didn't really necessarily feel welcomed because the technology and the community can be a little intimidating. So um, we began by launching a Discord server, engaging like minded communities, a number of different brands and influencers who had created successful NFT projects. And most recently, we launched our inaugural GQ NFT which actually um, in community surveys we found that they wanted physical goods they wanted physical experiences so if you have this token you now can go to a party that we're planning in New York and, and meet other community members and editors which is amazing can you imagine going to meet your favorite editors of your magazines like that's amazing and you get GQ merch um, and we also partnered with a number of successful artists in the space to design these different tokens. So that goes again to kind of working with local community members. Um, so that's GQ. It sold out two thirds, um, two thirds sold out so far. And in a bear market, we consider that pretty successful and exciting. And it's a long game. It's obviously not a get rich quick scheme. Um, and then I think you mentioned there's a, the Vogue Meta Ocean that we launched, which was um, had multiple editorial departments from multiple global titles from Vogue contribute um, and help source artists to create virtual goods. And we put them at the bottom of the ocean. And so we created this amazing, I mean, you could never do that in the physical world. We created an exhibit in the bottom of the ocean and um, all these beautiful artwork NFTs that you could tour. And it was to raise awareness for ocean conservation. 
That was amazing. We had um, a virtual influencer named Infinity who guided people through the experience, which is an interesting idea. Um, we also had the Vogue Business Metaverse Experience, which is for a totally different audience. It's a B2B audience, and it's an audience who maybe hasn't been in their first metaverse world before. They're looking to learn more, and a big tenet of journalism is to show, not tell. So we invited all of our members to see and experience a beautiful metaverse world. We had audio showers that you know started speaking when you entered the space, and we found that the average time spent was more than 20 minutes. And if you compare that to the time spent on an article, for example, or a social media post, it just blows out of the water. So I think those are just a few highlights uh, from recent experiments. I, I like what you're saying, though, because you know we talk about where we are in the trajectory and this adoption. And we just did that thing at the top. I think understanding it, I think tokens as a gateway to membership, right, and access is a simple one for everyone to understand, right? Everyone, like your mum and your dad, can understand that. I get this, and I can do this with it. I think that is a great onboarding. Um, and making it easy for bringing a wider audience into play. Then all the gorgeous assets that you guys have, the awareness of the sea, I, lo- I, I love that. Um, and I think we just have to think about not being too cutely creative. Like, you know, if, if, you, if it wasn't for the awareness of the oceans, that would have been gratuitous, right? Swim to the bottom of the ocean and come and see our... I don't mu- think so. I yeah. think it would be amazing well, to go to the bottom of the ocean but, you know, myself. But I, but I love the fact that you've tied it in, and I think more of that needs to happen um, just to get the onboarding much more frictionless and, and people to understand it. And the utility factor, right, in terms of NFTs playing that role, like they should be playing a role of access and membership, and it doesn't, you know, having a... I think the days of having a ape... <laughs> kind of gone in, in that respect maybe not maybe some ape owners in here but i think in terms of that what role does that nft or that token play a within, utility of within the wider experience different touch points different destinations within within a brand or their world and to us um at least the con and there's also becoming a bit like a way to subscribe to the readers of the future and trying to nurture them in a place where they feel slightly more comfortable and sometimes they do than maybe the real world. And that was very interesting. And actually, that brings me to something which I really would like the whole panel in a way to explore, which is the role of identity in Web3, which I know is something that we discussed with Condé Nast and with Vogue Business in multiple white papers and think tanks. But I know that Amplify has been exploring in terms of how to bring these identities in a story with the work that you've been doing for Black in Story Months. Uh, but for JC, in, you had a particular theory on the role of identity in Web3. Would you like to explore a bit? Yeah, more? thank you. So we, we came up with, I've been thinking around, and, and Alex just touched on this, the multiple worlds that you have, right? Um, and the reason why I think clothing is taken off is because we're really concerned about how we look in the world, right? How we turn up. You know, do I wear the same clothes? I mean, I just wear black all the time, so I probably wouldn't change that. But everybody, every, when you wake up in the morning, every decision you make to what clothes you put on is a creative decision. And so how you show up in those worlds is interesting. But I started to get interested in what's your personality? Can you change your personality by the worlds? And so we've coined this term, um, and we're just releasing it because uh, Metaverse Fashion Week is next week, called your metaversality. And what's really interesting is the early characters and characteristics of the metaverse lend themselves to people having different personalities on different platforms. We think that's a little schizophrenic. We think that because of this early stage... Um, you should maintain the same personality across the worlds, but you can change your look. I mean, you know, someone could be 
a Man City supporter in Decentraland and a Man U supporter in the sandbox, right? You could do what... Yeah, absolutely not. Um, but you, the look can change, but your personality should remain the same. And what we've started to see, certainly in the early stages, is you see a lot of kids play in the metaverse. Um, and I think I told, I told this story to... I went to the cinema in the metaverse um, to go and see some Steven Spielberg movies, Close Encounters and Jaws. And... Um, and there was no one in the cinema, right? And I was like, where is everyone? Well, I'm supposed to be here watching it with, with other people here. And I came back out and everyone was hanging out in the foyer. And I was like, have I missed the trick here? Is there something happening? In so I went up and talked to this, this person who was, you know, a, an avatar. And it happened to be an eight-year-old boy. And I said, why, why are you all, what, like, what's going on? He said, oh, my name is James. I'm eight years old. You know, I'm from Derby or wherever it was. And I said, uh, I said, why are you all in the foyer and not watching the movie? He goes, this is where we come and hang out, right? So when we were growing up, we used to go and drink beer and hang out in the playgrounds. Their playground happens to be a cinema foyer in the metaverse. But they don't go and watch the movies. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And then, he, and then I said, who's in the room with us? And it was basically seven, eight, and nine-year-olds. And I, I decided to get out of there immediately for all the reasons that you're thinking, exactly. Where are you, JC? On oh, Saturday night, I'm hanging out in a foyer with seven to eight and nine-year-olds. But what was interesting is that the characters that are in, in the metaverse at the moment, because it's brand new, um, tend to be children because they don't understand who they are yet. This is my theory. So their identity changes by platform, and so they're trying to find themselves. Whereas a lot of the older generation that go in, and there's some, there's some gnarly stuff that goes on in the metaverse right now, um, like we've seen with crypto, like, you know, there's some interesting gnarly characters. Same in the metaverse. Anything that's new brings in some interesting people to start with. Um, and that's why identity in these new worlds is so important. So, yeah, we've coined this term metaversality um, and, uh, and we'll, be, we'll be promoting it out there. And hopefully it will, will be something that we'll be talking about for the, for, for the foreseeable future. Great. And similarly, if yeah. you don't mind... Talking a bit more about the project. Yeah, that you I mean, had it's, it's that, agents. but it's also, I mean, identity is really interesting, and, and there's obviously how you represent yourself, and then there's also how you see yourself represented. And Judy, who was on Judy Lee from Pinterest, who we were chatting to before, was talking about sort of um, architecting spaces where she felt comfortable, where she, where she felt that she could be part of it, because there are spaces that, that aren't. And actually, in, in, our, in our creative studio, um, we have an individual, and anyone who was in the previous talk, apologize for repeating this story, but it's, it's, it is. Um, it's great. We, one of our creatives called Aaron Taylor um, is using AI um, uh, mid-journey ultimately to, he almost uses the technology, harnesses the power of the technology and its limitations to tell new stories. And um, if we think about what AI does, certainly from a sort of generative art point of view, all it can really access is what's been documented on the internet, what, what's out there. And as we sort of know, history is written by the winners and those who sort of control the narrative. So if you are from a demographic where, who isn't necessarily represented properly um, online um, or, or documented online in representative ways, you have to kind of find ways to, to create that. So he's done exactly that. And he has an Instagram uh, account called Black Tales Untold, um, where he shines a light on uh, black icons who have never had their stories told. Um, and he builds worlds for them. And he makes films, essentially, for sort of fake films about these individuals. Um, but he creates these stories without a hint of trauma that is normally associated with, with stories um, around sort of black icons, usually in cinema, um, and basically just purely wants to shine a light on their excellence. Um, and it's, it's, it's an amazing body of work, and he's, he's, he's dived into and pulled out all these amazing individuals throughout history who just no one knows about. Um, and, he's, and he's built these worlds 
uh, on Instagram that allows people to step in and explore them. But like I say, harnesses the sort of technology against itself in a really fascinating way. That, that leads me actually to one of the questions I had for Megan about, well, we talked about identity. We talked about actually rewriting some of the identity. What it comes to celebrity identity, we all seen the example of uh, Tom Cruise deepfake video and always made me think, does it mean that we now have this kind of like celebrity fake identities that could be replicated in the metaverse or, or how, do you, how do you explore that from an editorial point of view? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting um, example of what you can do to scale yourself as a celebrity. You can make it yourself. If you're a model, you can digitize yourself and sell your likeness. Um, I think just like any other entity or brand, I think it's just an extension of whatever they do best and whatever they're known for, whether it's um, Carly Kloss. She wore um, her avatar. She um, replicated a moment that was on the runway at, at uh, New York Fashion Week. So she was uh, wearing Carolina, Carolina Herrera on the runway. And then at the very same time, the dress debuted on Roblox and it ended up reselling for thousands of dollars, the digital version. So there's this idea of see now, buy now, wear now. So that's, you know, she's a model. So that makes sense for her. Elton John, I think, is an amazing example because you wouldn't think that his demographic aligns with, you know, the, the Roblox audience. But um, he actually, his team curated um, all these different digital looks and digital emotes and digital enhancements to avatars for Roblox in working with 20 different UGC user-generated content creators. And it was the largest UGC project to date in Roblox. And they coincided that experience with a physical concert. So they broadcast some uh, performance concert in Roblox in a physical space. They had a competition among the visitors in Roblox. So if you reached a certain threshold, you could be shown on the screen during the physical concert. And they saw an amazing response, a much older than average Roblox audience, but at the same time, people who might not have been familiar, if you can imagine this, with Elton John's career, and so they were being introduced to his music and his style for the first time. So I think there are ways to cross over, um, and I think it's a matter of creating experiences that are true to your brand and, and whatever that means. I think, can I just mention another one, because I think it's really interesting, um, Abba Voyage. Um, has anyone seen Abba Voyage here? Yes, I mean, so if, for those of you who don't know, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's an arena in London where they show ABBA, um, and it's very participatory, but it's a physical arena. However, the avatars of ABBA are from when they were younger, and they come up on stage and everyone dances. It's a really interesting concept, this, because, number one, ABBA are obviously not there, right? And the whole point of going to see a Beyonce concert is that she is there with me in this stadium and I can see her for real, even though you look at the screen most of the time because she's so far away, but she's there in the same time as me, in the same space. What the metaverse gives you, it, 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 it alters the physics of time and space, right? So no longer are ABBA in the room with me, but they're not spatially in the room with me either. Um, and they look younger, but yet this has been a huge success, and this hybrid crossover of how you use celebrity in the metaverse, but also in the real world, I think is a really interesting um, adventure that we're going to go on. And you're going to see more of it. Tupac, et cetera, was many years ago. At, um, at, uh, yeah, thank you. I couldn't remember the name. But anyway, it's an interesting, it's an interesting space. I was going to use the same example, actually. And, and you mentioned deepfakes. Yeah. And it's a space I'm super interested and terrified of. But I think that's a really interesting point you're making, JC, in terms of... Um, their ability to be there without being there, but it potentially takes, well, it doesn't take away from the experience, but it creates a different experience from seeing them live. Exactly. I think when you look at, and we touched on identity as well, 
when you talk, touched, this is all coming together. When you when you when you or touched plant, on uh, <laughs> when you when you touched on like image rights and things like that, and there was that case not that long ago about Bruce Willis, where people thought he had sold his image rights uh, to a I think they're called Deep Cake, um, so that he could turn up in advertising and movies and stuff without him necessarily needing to be there. As everyone knows, his health was degenerating. It wasn't as clear how bad it was uh, until recently, which is which is um, a massive tragedy absolute icon um but it, it what, what it does and he didn't actually sell his rights he sold it for a russian mobile ad he did they don't own it in perpetuity but it is super interesting in terms of how a, an artist or talent less maybe from a live performance point of view but more from a working actor's point of view being able to be on set filming a movie in tokyo if you have given your image rights and your and your deep fake uh, scans and everything to a company or a brand they you can also at the same time be shooting somewhere in Europe or or and then shooting something in America and actually being able to expand your opportunity commercially as 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 an artist completely opens up in new spaces that's the kind of nicer way into it than obviously you've got the dark side of deep fake but we're not here to talk about that and today the idea of obviously we, in the room we're going to have people that hopefully have to consult on clients on what's the best trajectory to build some of these new campaigns and new communication ways. When we talk about um, the the copyright of a, of an image or a or a face in this case, I think it's also interesting in a sector like luxury, which is one of one of the sectors that, as we were saying, has been benefiting from Web three the most. What does it mean to have a copyright and a brand and We've seen the case of Hermes that Megan covered extensively. So can you actually explain a little bit more about what happened for people in the room that might not have heard of it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, on the, on the point of trademarks and IP in the metaverse, there are no classes um, that specifically cover Web3 or NFTs or the metaverse, but there are classes that brands are retrofitting to register their marks in digital spaces, whether it's games or virtual goods. So a number of brands, including Nike and Gucci and Ralph Lauren, they have registered their marks proactively um, to protect themselves. On that point, um, Hermes, the famous maker of luxury goods and handbags like the Birkin bag, they had not yet registered to protect their marks and they had not entered the space of NFTs. Um, This was a few years ago, but an artist named Mason Rothschild, he created, first of all, he created a baby Birkin um, one-of-one video artwork showing a little baby growing inside a Birkin bag, clearly an artwork. Um, Hermes said they had no no comment and it ended up selling for the equivalent of about $24,000, which is a lot of money and, you know, people spend that much on an actual physical Birkin bag. So that got a little awkward. He saw the success of that and he followed it up with the collection of, I believe it was 100 digital virtual bags that were called Meta Birkins. And he used the name Birkin, which is a protected mark. He used the image of the bag and he created different colors, you know, different materials that actually Hermes had not made. And he sold them as NFTs and they went for thousands of dollars um, on the secondary market. Now, this was very interesting to Hermes because of a number of reasons. One, a number of brands had actually, not Hermes, but another, um, many other luxury brands had created digital goods sold as NFTs, whether it's bags or sneakers or dresses like from Balmain. So there was significant com- consumer confusion and even media confusion on to whom this, these NFTs should be attributed. They also started going for so much money that Hermes 
saw that they were competing with their digital bags and they were eating into their potential market share in the future if they did want to enter into the space. So they actually um, sued and the first uh, verdict came, it went to trial and actually Hermes won because even though um, it is artwork, if it causes consumer confusion and significant challenges to the brand to enter the space in the future, um, the, the jury ruled that um, the NFTs you know, were not good. They were not allowed. Um, the artist has um, filed to, I'm like forgetting all the legal terms, but it's still ongoing. They've filed an appeal and most recently Hermes has filed a request for all of Mason's leftover NFTs. He has like, I think he held on to four um, to be transferred to Hermes. This um, Hermes also registered their marks retroactively. Um, and what gets interesting here, though, is that the, the holders who own the original Meta Birkins, which I would love to have one now because they're even more valuable because of what Hermes did, um, but don't tell them that, um, they hold those NFTs and Hermes has no control. Like they can't, you know, say, oh, yeah, if you own this digital bag, you have to airdrop it to Hermes. They're out in the world. They have no control. So I would advise brands to protect their marks, um, try to file these classes. Um, legal up your your resources because um, if you go on Roblox and you and you you operate a brand, I assure you that people are already making pieces with your brand name and making money off of it um, without your control. But this this is, this is just typical of a centralized organization, right? Command and control. Exactly. And uh, if if someone was smart at Hermes, you would okay. You've lost money, so maybe I get some money. But you would have gone up to that guy and said, "Hey, do you want a job and come and design even more for us?" But the natural reflex of these like businesses... ghosted. Yeah, and, exactly, and right? But the natural reflex of most of these brands is to go, we've lost out, we have no command and control, therefore we're going to sue. Um, I don't know what will happen on appeal. Depends where it is as well, by the way. I don't know where the court case was actually happening. New York. But it was. So they're pretty good over there. Um, but yeah, I think it's an, in, it's an interesting showcase. But I, I think it was so blatantly in their face is, is that's what pissed them off more than anything and the loss of commercial. Um, but it's an interesting one for sure. And to that point, trying to rein it back into this idea of storytelling, mm. that is actually one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this example is because they actually haven't been able to tackle it and turn it into an interesting story for themselves. They prefer to just go heavy on the, on the lawsuit. How would you see actually some of these new tools to become just a, a creative canvas without any of, you know, any of the problems of, lawsuit or copyright infringement and so forth because uh, i know that for example amplify you you try to dip your toes into these new technologies also just as a way of thinking maybe we can learn something that can be applied to some of the other disciplines so it's a very creative yeah. way of approaching this definitely and i mean there's this kind of two sides of it there's like how 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 can you create for for brands and your clients in that space but then how can you internally create and and elevate your work through using them and um, you know, I've, there's lots of uh, different terms thrown around around some of these things, about whether it's creativity, whether it's co-creation, whether it's exploration, whether it's sort of, you know, different terms around it. But either way, we've, we've definitely been a studio that, that embraces it uh, to, to essentially, but always, always through the lens of how can it make our work stronger. Um, certainly there's no fear around people losing their jobs around it and stuff like that, because I think it's, um, and that's a whole other subject. But um, I think one thing that we've been doing with, uh, with one of our clients recently to, to speed up certain processes, we've got a short deadline for a, a large um, uh, fashion brand. Um, and we've been doing all our storyboards, but the team just decided to 
create their storyboards in AI, for example, um, and still kind of printing them out and, and creating like a sort of analog experience with it. So we sit down with our with our clients with all the different stages of this storyboard and build it together with them and have that kind of co co collaboration, creative collaboration, both from a sort of virtual point, but then bring it down into working with that connection in the room with them as well, because someone mentioned about being on zoom calls and everything like that obviously that, that that that's tricky and it's and it's something we've all dealt with a lot so when the opportunity comes to collaborate but still use these innovative tools and emerging texts to do that and bring it back into a more sort of human level we're always looking to do that and, and we just encourage our studio to play in these spaces and discover and explore and um we've one of our other creators i mentioned aaron earlier but one another one did this thing around infinite marilyn um, where just literally put Marilyn Monroe through this thing like a trillion times and it gets really creepy. Um, and, and, and also, but, and going back to identity, understanding how representation happens through these tools and, and how, again, to like harness it ultimately and, and use the technology to almost go against how it's currently working to, to better represent ourselves in there. Um, so I think there's lots of ways of doing it. And, and also as AI... Obviously, I think I'm just obviously talking about it from almost like a generative art perspective. There's loads of ways, obviously, AI can influence work, how you can build architecture in the virtual space and put your clients inside it or put yourself inside it to understand how experience design can work and flow. I just, it's, a, it's a very interesting area. Um, the video that was on at the start, what we showing, we, we developed, we built a shopping mall in Decentraland for um, a company called Boson Protocol, um, who create a transaction, NFT on a transaction between the physical world good and the, and the virtual world good. And, um, and I just think it's very hard to take, you know, there's a great saying which I abide by, which is you can't break down the master's house with the master's tools. And if we use the same tools and same thinking that we take from this world into new worlds, um, with new business models and paradigms, we're going to see the same old thing happening. Um, and there's a, there's a nine, I think Jeff Rawl came up with this thinking experiment back in the 70s, 71, called the original position, um, which is if you were to create a society today without knowing who you are, what you are, and what your place will be in that society, how would you design that society, right? So it's kind of, so you don't, you know, it's, a, it's been around for a number of years. And so where will we be? Will copyright be the same? Will IP be the same? Will our position be the same? Will brands interactly be the same? We work with a company called Arwen, which is um, like Calm, you know, the Calm app, but done in the virtual world through VR. And none of it looks like, has this zero verisimilitude. Like, it doesn't look like the real world. It's like a room with throbbing shapes, and it's been proven to take your anxiety down. Normally with Calm, you're like floating on a mountain and, you know, hearing brown noise. Um, that's great, but there's stuff like the, this guy's designed, Sean Rogg, which are just out there. And I think that's going to be really interesting when we shift over as to what tools do we take over, but what thinking do we take over? Yeah, and, sorry, can I well, add to that as well? Because there's that, I don't know why I'm quoting this guy, but I'm doing it. Ricky Gervais actually made an observation on a chat show a little while ago around, if you were to restart, to your point, if you were to restart the world mm -hmm. or to build a world afresh, and if you would do that like 100 times, every time something like religion, for example, it would be different every single time. Whereas right. science is would, would be the same because evidential it's, it's and evidential fact facts that yeah. kind of comes through it. So I think when, when you look at how metaverses are built within that, we're very likely to represent our existing architecture. Exactly. Those, like you going to a cinema foyer. Correct. Exactly like, right. Yeah, so like what, what, if you're unbound by the, that architecture and those physics, then it, should, it doesn't have to be The main difference is I don't hang out with kids on a Saturday yeah, night. I get it. <laughs> And before we go to a few questions, um, 
I, I actually would love to hear a couple of final words, obviously, from the panel, but I would be very interested to hear from Megan about where do you think the, if you want, like the next milestone of this storytelling in the Web3 will go. Mostly, I know it's a curveball ball, but you, you managed to spend a lot of time with some of the most innovative minds in the space, like Katie Ackle, Dina Fierro from NAS, and so forth. Have you had any inkling from these people on where they would like to take the brand forward that what we could expect? Yeah, so I think um, Web 2.5 is really the direction, like a step back, because I think we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves. I think there are a lot of technologies that are very valuable and kind of underutilized. I think augmented reality is a great example of that. I think um, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves, you know, Meta becoming meta did not help. I think that got a lot of people excited and also the disenfranchised. So I think um, I'm also seeing a trend of this idea of NFTs becoming a bad word and now it's digital collectibles or you don't even talk about the technology at all. I think having um, some connection to uh, what consumers know and love, a physical connection. I know everyone hates the word digital, but I think it, it kind of does the job. So I think brands maybe have gotten a little ahead of themselves in terms of reinventing the wheel. And having a connection to the physical, I think, is very important and very valuable. Um, so I think in the future, the, the customer experience will get better. The consumer now audience or community experience is better. And I think um, in this bear market, in this crypto winter, metaverse winter, we're seeing a lot of this underlying infrastructure uh, enabling technologies get a lot of funding. And so I'm seeing build mode happen. So while you might see not see as many launches um, in, this, in this period, I think what you're seeing is a better consumer experience being built under the hood. Um, so once we kind of come back, when we're actually ready for Web3, I think it's going to be a lot more appealing to a larger group of people. Thank you. Uh, one final word, uh, if an agency or a company would like to start learning a little bit more about how to tackle uh, some, of the, some of the points that we discussed today, in your experience, what, what would you recommend? Coming to work with us, obviously. <laughs> Um, no, what would I recommend? I think, we've, I think it's, it's no different to every other technology that comes out. Like, um, think about what you're, what, you're, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve. What's, your, what's the utility that you're adding? Work with natives to make sure that you've got some authenticity and you're not just there making the current utility more cumbersome. Um, and, of course, experiment. I, mean, I came up, up with this theory a few years ago called the expert theory, right? Which is the etymology of the word experiment experience and expertise is not is not by luck right in order if you have to experiment in order to gain experience and become an expert right so if you do those three things if people walk in and like hey i know what i'm doing this is like they don't know what they're doing because they you need to experiment and a lot of the fashion brands are the ones at the forefront that are experimenting so experiment experience and, and expertise you get there thank you alex i just think um, putting the audience at the heart of any experience you create, whether that be virtual content in real life, um, and just turning up for the right reasons for them, really giving them that that experience and tell them the stories in the ways they want to tell them. Really, brilliant. Thank you. Um, we got a question. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, thank you so much for this panel. I've really enjoyed it. My name is Helen. I'm launching a podcast called Creativity Squared on how artists are collaborating with artificial intelligence. And my question for you is, have we seen the Citizen Kane, or what Citizen Kane was for film? Have we seen a project like that for the metaverse? Ooh, and if not, what are some of the most uh, boundary-breaking projects that are inspiring you right now today? Just to say, everyone that's leaving, we're giving out free iPads if you stay till the end. So 
If there's any left over, you can, some people stay can take two. That's fine. Um, see, see I, I, that's a great question. A, because I'm a film student, so Citizen Kane is obviously very close to my heart. Um, I think the short answer is no, right? We've not, we've certainly not got there yet. Um, Orson Welles, both around narrative, use of depth of field, um, plot twisting at the end, like the whole thing was very unique. Um, and he was a great artist at the time, kind of on his way to that kind of legendary hagiographic like status. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I don't know. I don't think we're, I don't think we're near that point yet. Um, and, and I don't know what it would be, and to guess would be silly, but I also do think there won't be a congregation of cultural moment like that as well. This will be something that exists somewhere that will be super important, super important. I've only been in the US three days. I'm already <laughs> using the prefix of super. Um, it will be very important to a cohort of people, but it might not be as, as important as Citizen Kane was to everyone in the world. So I think we will struggle to find that cultural asset that does that. There will be myriad of those rather than just one. Thank and, you. And what are some, like, what are, what are the most, um, like, boundary-breaking projects that you're seeing that weren't discussed on stage that are inspired your thinking? Oh, wow, there's, oh, there's so many. Um, well, I look, there's, one, there's one company, again, just that we work with them called Ithium. Um, they are designing uh, a data exchange in the metaverse. So essentially everyone in here, we all, have, all our data is owned by Facebook and Google. Um, and in the metaverse, that doesn't need to be the case. So you can own your own data. I can go and trade with brands directly. But how am I doing that? What's the protocol of doing that? Um, there's a number of things in the space. I mean, we probably haven't got enough time to go through a lot of them. But there's some great companies that are setting up some transformational things that... Um, the bottom line is, where would I invest, like, and this is an investment advice, by the way, just FYI, it's my personal opinion. Where would I invest, um, like, money? I'd invest it in tools, like the axe, pickaxes and shovels of this world, because building platforms is really difficult and expensive. So I'd, I'd invest in there. Companies, Roblox, Unity, Epic on the secondary market, because they're not a public company. Um, I would look at the things that are that you can't do in, to, in, in, the, in today's world via 2.0 or 2.5, or in the real world physically, in terms of what you then can do in the metaverse, that's what I would look for as to be what the next evolution of where I would put my time, I don't know why I pointed at myself with time, um, put myself in terms of time, energy, and, and investment. So, yeah, not Thank picking you. out on you. And since no one's behind me, I'll ask one more, uh, like, junior, uh, beginner question. When you said, like, when you were hanging out at the movie theater in the metaverse, like, which metaverse? Like, what? where did you do this? And so, like, what does that mean? I, I feel like you're going to turn up now and have a picture of me in the <laughs> yeah. foyer. Um, so this was in Decentraland, actually. Okay. And, uh, yeah, um, but I don't do it on a regular basis anymore. <laughs> um, but, look, there are some great experiences. You know, I, 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 told, I told the guys earlier that, um, you know, you can go to parties in the metaverse now, but... Uh, a friend of mine was did, did it with his wife on New Year's Eve, and uh, they were sitting on the sofa together. But when they went when they went to the party on top of the Empire State Building, they couldn't find one another in the virtual world. She was partying with some other guy. He was like, oh, <laughs> "Getting this off?" And we're just sitting to each other on the sofa. So I think there's some of, some of those things are, are really interesting. But um, but yeah, you learn a lot by hanging out there for sure. Thank you. Thank you. No worries. Hi, thank you. Uh, this was a really great session. Really learned a lot. Um, picking up on that last question, 
there is no one metaverse yet. There are lots of ones. And, and Megan, it sounds like you're very comfortable building on Roblox and you know, yeah, JC and Alex, you have a range of clients. So can you talk about how you pick where to build and why? And if there's perhaps something, if you think of whether it's a Venn diagram or a Cartesian graph of sort of who's best for what use case. I, and if you can do that in 10 seconds, that'd be great. <laughs> I, I, I would start by saying that at least in, in my role as part of the commercial team at Condé Nast, when we build some of these experiences on behalf of clients, we're trying to look at what kind of demographic they want, to, what kind of people they want to talk to, whether it's the eight-year-old <laughs> JC. I'm going to be labelled with this moniker now, aren't you, I? You did. Yeah, sorry. Um, you might need a lawyer, JC. Somebody <laughs> yeah. in the room might be able to help you out. I won't make it out the US. But in general, what is the audience you want to connect with? What are the passion points? And usually, certain metaverse are more in tune with some some of these passion points. Okay, and this is why GQ3 was on on Discord versus MetaOcean. It's it's in a completely different space. So that's how I would approach it. Who do you want to speak to? And I'll just add to that, not everything has to be an existing virtual world with an existing community. Like our Vogue Business Metaverse experience was our own closed world. So we allowed it allowed us to open it only for members and very much control the look and feel of the experience. So um, we're also seeing that with virtual stores. Sometimes brands don't want other you know stuff happening. Like in Fortnite, it's like if there's violence, maybe you don't want to be adjacent to that. So I think um, you can build your own. You don't have to necessarily... Do it on an existing platform. Um, and Decentraland and the Sandbox are blockchain-based. Um, and so you own all your assets and you can make secondary revenue. Roblox is not. So if there's secondary sales, you're not making additional revenue. So again, it's also a question about revenue versus numbers versus control. That's a good point. And also how, how you turn up. There's like if, um, I mean, Activision, Call of Duty as a metaverse does some always ensure that a lot, a lot of their collaborations are very much driven through value to the player. So their Heinz Hidden Spots example, where they identified that most players got quite frustrated because they kept their avatars kept getting killed when they were trying to have a bite to eat. So Heinz created hidden spots in maps, which they then broadcast through gaming influencers, going like, guys, if you need to grab yourself a sandwich, there's this little cave on this map in this corner uh, and you could go there, hide your character there, have a bite to eat. And that's, that's understanding your community, understanding your audience, and turning up in a way that is actually genuinely valuable to them. And like, we, we use a lot of different techniques, but it kind of the content, community, conversation, culture, I think is one that people, that we use all the Cs, by the way, celebrity. Like there's a number of different things to look at. Um, but really the, two, the, the three that, that kind of, if I was doing a Venn, is what's the content, what's the idea, who are the, who's the community, how, who are they and how do they interact with one another, and then code. Am I building something that is technologically progressive and data-reliant, etc.? So those three, content, community, and code. And before everyone runs for lunch, please, I would like uh, an applause for our panel, and thank you very much for coming. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>